Good morning, Christ Central. It's a privilege to be before you this morning to wrap up the wonderful weekend that I've had here with you all by sharing a message from, from God's Word, from uh, three uh, simple yet profound verses in the third chapter of the Apostle Paul's letter to the Colossians, Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 to 17. I want to speak to you this morning on this subject simply, gratitude is the attitude. Gratitude is the attitude. Would you look with me at what God's Word says in Colossians 3, verses 15 to 17? reads this way, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Would you pray with me? Father, we bow before your throne of grace this morning, declaring a gratitude for this, your word, that is not dead, but that is alive, that is sharp, that is active, that pierces to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, judging, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And so, Lord God, make us to know, make us to know and even be glad that because of this truth, we all are in this place naked and exposed to you, the one to whom we must all give account that means, Lord, you know precisely what we are in need of this morning. And so would you be pleased to take these, my weak and unworthy efforts, in your word. And, Lord, use them to, to meet us where we are and give us what we need. If it is faith, oh God, would you give us the gift of faith this morning? If we need to be encouraged, Lord God, would you, through the preaching of your word, by the power of your spirit, encourage our hearts in your good news. If we need to be corrected, Lord, would you have mercy and correct us in your kindness that we would be people who live not for our own glory, but for the glory of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Well, let me um, tell you a brief story about a young African-American couple, Daryl and Joyce. Uh, they live in a densely populated city in America, and they're, they're both musicians who met while they were pursuing master's degrees at a prestigious conservatory. And together, they attend and serve in the music ministry 
of an ethnically diverse church in their city. And I met this couple when I interviewed them for the research that I was doing for my dissertation. And when I would interview uh, participants in my research, I would ask questions that were intended to uh, provoke a, an emotional and a thoughtful response. One of those questions that I would ask, or a group of questions that I would ask, I would ask, what does it feel like to be your ethnicity at your church? And I wouldn't be general like that if uh, they were a black or white or Asian, Latino. I, what does it feel like to be black at your church? How often do you think about your ethnicity at your church? And, and in what ways has that changed since you began attending your church? When I asked Daryl what it was like to be black at his church, he he said this, he said, I can't really be black at my church. And of course, I wanted to know what he meant by that. And so he explained further, he said, I mean the things that I would do if I were in a more black setting, I can't do that. I often suppress it. If, if I want to worship God, I'm very expressive, he said, and I'm going to express it with my whole being. The culture of my church is pretty much the opposite. If they call me to play the organ, it's the Hammond B organ, but I'm not going to play it the same way you would hear it at a black church. It's the same organ, but it's going to be something that they can relate to. Now, he'd been a member of the, that church for five years by the time I had interviewed him, and so he had obviously stayed even though he felt as though he had to suppress a part of himself, and he's still a part of that music team. And, and why is that? He said, it's because I, he said, I used to get upset that I had to suppress it, but over time, I've learned to see things from everyone's perspective. I've been learning over the years how to deny myself. I hope that it can be the other way around, too that they can de deny themselves as well and, and we can come together and assimilate across the different cultures. And then his wife, Joyce, added this. She said, I prefer to hear gospel music played. I prefer actually to sing gospel music. And those, are, those things are, are fine to prefer, but really at the end of the day, my growth with Christ isn't based on preferences. Actually, she said, it's a stripping away of my preferences. We're supposed to be ministers of reconciliation, Daryl said, and, and we really need to see that in our city. What does it look like in practice to, to live as a reconciled community? One of the things that is explicitly clear if you've been paying any attention in recent years over the events that take place in our country, it's been explicitly clear that, that we don't live in a land where reconciliation is the norm. You might actually find yourself this morning somewhat weary of all the talk around the issues that surround race in this land. You might be angered or, or grieved or both by the ongoing evidence of the problem. When will it end? When will the strife be done away with? 
And we need to be perfectly clear that the only true and permanent reconciler is Jesus Christ. And what is absolutely necessary is for the members of Jesus' church to be ministers of reconciliation. And that begins with his church living as a reconciled community. Should Daryl have had to feel as though he had to suppress part of his ethnic identity at his church? Probably not. Should, all, should, should the church uh, uh, be aware of its preferences and, uh, and, and how their African-American musicians were, were feeling and, and what they were experiencing? Yes, they, they probably should have been. But Jesus is the reason that Daryl can say, I've been learning over the years to deny myself. Jesus is the reason that his wife Joyce could say, my growth with Jesus is not based on my preferences. It's based on a stripping away of my preferences. Uh, 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 It's based on this. And what is more, both of them had expressed the way they had grown in thankfulness to God for this Christian community, even though things were not the way they wanted them to be. Gratitude is the attitude that Jesus Christ creates in his people. Did you notice that in the three verses that we read from Colossians chapter 3, the tagline, almost like an add-on at the end of each verse, is, is thankfulness and gratitude. A movement of gratitude, peace, place, and, and practice, grateful in peace, grateful in place, grateful in practice. This chapter in The letter to the Colossians is primarily about the Apostle Paul's instructions to them on how the church is supposed to live in light of what Jesus Christ has done. He starts out the chapter in the first verse, Since therefore you have been raised with Christ, seat the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on earthly things, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Since Jesus is the Father's right-hand man with all power and authority to affect God's will and to protect his own people, then the Christian life, the apostle is saying, should be uh, entirely oriented by reference to him. And then he goes on to explain in the verses preceding ours that that this life is, is a life of putting off and putting on. He says, put to death what is earthly in you, Because you have put off the old self with its practices and you've put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. Therefore, he says, put on as God's chosen ones who are holy and who are loved. Uh, Put on tenderheartedness. Put on compassion and kindness and gentleness and humility and patience, forgiving one another. As God has forgiven you, he says, so you must also forgive. And then he says, above all these things, put on love, which is the binding glue of perfection that that holds everything together. And this life of 
of, of living this out is not simply about you or I as an individual. God is not just making a new me. He's interested in making a new we. In this reconciled community, he points out in this chapter, in verse 11 of chapter 3, where he says, Here, Colossians, in the church, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And he could say that to them because in the church in Colossae, there were Greeks and Jews, barbarians, Scythians, slave and free. And he says, listen, you, are so, you all are holy and you are loved together in all of this diversity. You are to be putting earthly things to death and putting on love together. And that's absolutely clear in this first point, grateful in, in peace. He says in verse 15, he says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. The desire for peace is nothing new. Uh, the fact that in this world we are regularly confronted with violence, with injustice, with, with war, with disharmony, with division, with disruption, it's nothing new. We long for peace, but the world has never known how to get it. And this is because in part, Peace is not simply calmness. Peace is not simply the absence of, of strife. We've seen in our cities riots over recent years because of racial injustice, but in those cities where those protests and those riots broke out, before the protests happened, those were not cities at peace. There are no riots taking place outside of these doors, but that does not mean that Durham, North Carolina is a city at peace. Not in the biblical sense of the word, because it's not just the absence of strife or hostility. It is the presence of something. It is the presence. Peace is the presence of well-being. It is the presence of wholeness and flourishing and, and prosperity of things working as they ought. So here the apostle says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. To be a Christian means to be at peace with God. Jesus Christ reconciles us to God. We were God's enemies. We were at war with God. That's a losing battle, but we didn't care. That's how life is apart from faith in Jesus Christ. This is why the Apostle Paul says to them in the first chapter of this letter, verses 9, 19 to 22, where he says, For in him, in Jesus Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, Paul says, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. 
Jesus Christ is our peace. In fact, he is our only hope for peace with God. And what that means is that in Jesus Christ, we are restored to wholeness and flourishing and well-being in our relationship with God. So when Paul says, let the peace of Christ, the peace that Christ has established and brought you into, let that rule your hearts. The command is for something to rule, and it's not you. The subject is the peace of Christ. And to rule here has a sense of an arbitrator or an umpire, like in baseball, when, when there's tension, in other words, when there's tension, when there's difficulty, to, the, the apostle's saying when there's tension, when there's difficulty, when there's, when there's conflict among you, what is the determining factor in what you all say and what you all do? What's in the position of calling balls and, and strikes in your decision-making? What's in the position of saying, do this or do that, don't do this, don't do that, say this, say that, don't say this, don't say that? Is it your feelings? Is it how you're feeling at the moment? Is that what's driving the decision making? Is it your likes and your dislikes or your preferences? Would you please notice with me that this is something that the Colossians are supposed to let happen, not make happen. You don't say make the peace of Christ rule. No, let the fact that you've been reconciled to God and have peace with God be the ruling factor in your decision making. He's saying, Christians, don't get it twisted. Do not get it twisted. You all were called to this in one body. You didn't call yourselves into this life. God called you into it. God placed you in the one body. And it's not even your body. It's Christ. You've been called into as Christians. You are called into peaceful existence within this one body he's talking about that you're only a part of because God called you and placed you in it. Were it not for the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ, you'd have stayed apart because of your differences and divisions. And the pursuit of what makes for peace only happens when we live in a position of gratitude for that peace. When he says, and be thankful, that is not a throwaway line. He means keep on being thankful. Keep on being thankful for the peace that Jesus Christ has made for you with God by the blood of his cross. And being thankful or grateful in this peace is intimately tied to being grateful in place. And when I say grateful in place, I'm talking about the same place that the Apostle Paul is talking about. He says in verse 16, 
Let the word of Christ dwell. That is, let it live in you all richly in all wisdom as you teach and warn one another. He doesn't say let the word of Christ dwell or live in your hearts, but that's what he means. That's the place that he's talking about. He's still talking about what is at the center of our decision-making and our life together as the people of God. Notice he says, let it live in you all richly with all wisdom as you teach and warn or admonish each other, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude. Well, with gratitude where, Paul? With gratitude in your hearts to God. The peace of Christ is to be, number one, the, the head honcho, if you will, decision maker in your hearts. And now he says the word of Christ is supposed to flourish there. And letting the word of Christ dwell richly in our hearts is not simply about memorizing scripture verses so you can apply them to various situations. Yes, memorize scripture. Yes, indeed, right? I know, Christ Central Church, you're uh, people of the book here. The Word of God, the Bible is our only rule for faith and, and for practice, but the Word of Christ here in this passage is related to the peace of Christ in verse 15. I like how Wheaton College chaplain Timothy Blackman described it when he preached on this passage recently. On this verse, he Put it this way, he said, let the, the verbalized, vocalized announcement of, of God about what Jesus Christ is doing and who he is, let it be the telling influence of your control tower, the executive center of your being. Let, the, let it be the telling influence of everything you think and act and do. It is the living voice of Jesus Christ. The peace of Christ is ours because of the word of Christ. The word of Christ is God's declaration of who Jesus is, what he's doing, why he's doing it. Let this word, he says, live among you all richly. So don't just read your Bible, hear the voice of your Lord. Realize that it is a living word of the living God and it shouts to us about God reconciling and renewing all things in Jesus Christ. And letting the word of Christ live richly uh, 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 among us, letting the word of Christ live richly among us, and when it's flourishing, we will engage one another with wisdom. When the peace of Christ is the head decision maker ruling our hearts, and the word of Christ is flourishing among us, we will engage one another with wisdom. We won't be simply walking around quoting Bible verses at each other to try to correct one another or fix an issue. That's because wisdom is not simply about what you know. Wisdom is not simply knowledge. 
It is the skill to apply what you know to be true in a way that enables life to thrive. And listen, the Apostle Paul is doing something intentional here. Listen to what he said to them at the end of chapter 1 of this letter, verses 28 and 29. He said to them, him we proclaim, Christ, we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, he said, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. He was talking about himself there as an apostle. I'm working hard to proclaim Jesus Christ to you, Colossians. I'm working hard to proclaim Christ to you, warning you and teaching you with all wisdom. And the purpose is your maturity in Jesus Christ. And now when he gets to chapter 3, he's saying to them, this is not just for me to do for you. This is for you all to do with and for one another. He uses the exact same words with all wisdom, teaching and warning each other. Don't only look to me, he's saying, as an apostle, as the peace of Christ rules your hearts and the word of Christ is lavishly living among you, God will grant wisdom so that you can grow in maturity together. This dwelling of the word of Christ with all Wisdom as you teach and warn each other, it actually happens when, when this one body comes together for worship. It happens, he says, when you're singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This teaching and warning happens when the body comes together for worship. And isn't it wonderful? Isn't it wonderful that he calls our corporate singing in particular as a way that we let the word of Christ dwell richly in us, the way that we teach and warn one another. What do you think when you come to church on Sunday morning, when you come to worship and to sing? Do you just think about you and God on an island by yourself? Just me and you, Jesus. Or does it work into your praise and into your worship to be thinking about the people of God? As we sang this morning, as we lifted our voices as song, we were we're teaching and encouraging and admonishing and warning one another. And it's happening corporately. Why? Because, you know, each of us may be at different places and may need a different message. But the Lord has something to say to each of us when we say, worthy is the lamb who was slain. When we sing that, God meets us and he teaches us. We come together, we are able to help each other be grateful 
for the peace of Christ that's been given to us. We're able to help each other be grateful that we were called together in one body. We're able to help each other be grateful that God has opened our eyes to hear the word of Christ and we are to be grateful in the place that God has captured in our hearts to help each other be grateful in our hearts. And listen, this is not about a fake it till you make it gratitude. This is not about a let me cover up and hide the challenges and the difficulties and act, you know, when you, 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 how you doing? I'm blessed and highly favored. Your world is falling apart. It is about the cut. It is, it is about the internal disposition, the work that the Spirit of God does among us that even when things are falling apart, we can say, thank you, Lord, bless your name. And lastly, the apostle commands us to be grateful in practice. He expands this attitude of gratitude to the entirety of our lives. He says, and whatever you do, in word or in work, whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This attitude of gratitude in practice is to spill out of, of Sunday worship into Monday to Saturday living. The rubber is to meet the road in our everyday lives. We wrap this up with, I think is an example of what this gratitude and practice looks like from something I was blessed to see and hear just a couple of years ago at a time of disturbing racial tension there is another Christ Central Church just down the road a piece from here in Charlotte, North Carolina, pastored by my friend, Reverend Howard Brown. A couple of years ago, you all may remember that there was a protest in Charlotte, North Carolina after the killing of an unarmed African American by the police, and that protest turned violent. There was some rioting in that city, and uh, Pastor Brown had an opportunity to be interviewed on a local TV station on their news program to discuss the racial tensions in their city. And the reporter said to him, Pastor, you have a very unique perspective in that you have police officers in your congregation yet you also have congregants who are very frustrated by the police. Pastor Brown said, that's correct. We, the work we do is the work of reconciliation. So we have open and honest discussion, and we believe, he said, that we serve a God and that we have a gospel that can handle any kind of dispute in any kind of issue. And then the reporter said, but what is the challenge for people, even people of faith, he said, is reconciling that spirituality with real life right now. He said, uh, uh, in which a lot of people feel disenfranchised and feel like they're being targeted, being killed by faith. 
Pastor Brown said this. He said, what the community of faith needs to realize and communicate to people out there is this. You have a God that is highly concerned and upset at the oppression. He's highly concerned about the issues that people are going through. But he also recognizes that it is impossible for us to get the justice that our souls and our situations deserve. So he was willing to go to bat for us through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. We believe that. The question we need to ask, he said, is, is there space and room, not only in our churches, but in our gospel message for those folks who are in the street who are really hurting? And then he said this, the only difference between you and the folk who are running in the street is the degree of mercy and grace you have received that you fail to realize you are no better, you are no more moral, you are simply given a grace of God in a different situation that's not of your own doing. What he's describing is gratitude in practice, what it looks like, particularly when it gets rough around the edges, when there are disputes that bubble over into tensions and even conflict and hostility is a recognition that I have been given a grace of God, not of my own doing. That this actually governs the practice Monday through Saturday that I've received peace with God through Jesus Christ, and this governs the realities of our lives day in and day out. And would you notice that the apostle gives no escape clause in the message or in the passage. He's been giving them lists in this passage, in this chapter, if you read through it, he's been giving them lists, and now he says, just in case anybody thinks there's a loophole, Anybody thinks there's a way out, he says, look, I've been giving you all these lists, but now let me say whatever you do, everything you do, whatever it is, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And do you know that it's a lot easier to give thanks to God the Father through Jesus Christ when everything's going well? What he is talking about is a gratitude in practice when things are rough around the edges. That gratitude that is expressed in those words that, that Joyce gave to me when I interviewed her when she said, I'm learning that my growth in Jesus Christ is not based on my preferences that it's not based on my getting everything I want the way that I want it, but it is, in, it is even a stripping away of preferences and yet still being able to be thankful to God. Gratitude is the attitude that God calls us to. And I am so glad that he gives us this truth and this message not only in the word that we preach and the word that we read, but in this meal that we celebrate every week, in this supper, in the bread and the cup, where we are reminded, we are reminded of the peace that Jesus Christ has made for us by his blood shed on the cross. When we hear week in and week out those words, 
This is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for many for the forgiveness of your sins, that we're not only reminded of it, but we are renewed in the peace that we have when we eat and drink together as one body. That this table is a table of renewal. It's a table of strengthening. I better take this with me. I don't keep sweating. It is, it is a table where we experience the realities of our being one body that we are grateful for, that the table, the table, yes, is for those who have put their faith in God, in Jesus Christ, and come to, to God through, through faith in him. Um, but the table continues to grow wider and longer with more and more people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And we get to be grateful that God is doing this reconciling work among us. And so if you belong to Jesus Christ, if you've come to God through faith in him, this is your table, it's your meal. As I say, um, whenever I have an opportunity to be before the church in this, at this table to say that, that this is a foretaste of what we hear in, in Revelation when the scripture says, blessed are all those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. That week after week, the bread should be tasting more and more like wedding cake because we're headed to that great wedding supper of the Lamb. And yet, if this is not yet your fate, if you have not yet come to the place of, of confessing your need for the forgiveness that Jesus Christ offers, I say, I'm so glad you're here. We are so glad you're here. There's no place better for you to be this morning than right here, right now. And I would say to you, don't partake of these elements, not because we want you to be embarrassed, but we would not have you be a hypocrite doing with your body and actions what you don't actually believe in your heart. But there is yet something for you to do. You can stay in your seat, you can reflect on the word of God and ask God to reveal himself to you. Or you can come forward when the servers are forward and just fold your arms in front of you. And we would be delighted to pray for you, pray with you. This is the Lord's table. Families are invited. If you have young children who have not yet been admitted to the table, come as a family. Come and be renewed by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And so we take the time before we pray and partake to confess our faith together. Would you look in your bulletin and where we see the confession of faith, the Apostles' Creed. Let's read that together before we pray. Church, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. 
He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Would you pray with me as we pray the servers come forward? Father, thank you for the fact that we have peace with you through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that you have called us together as one body in him. I pray, Lord God, that you would do the work that only you can do, strengthening us for a life of gratitude in practice as we eat and drink together as your people to the glory of your name. Amen, amen, and amen.